the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Dan Prof Show. And uh, with the internationalists back in charge of uh, policymaking, national security and foreign policymaking, uh, I thought, uh, as uh, we discussed uh, in some detail yesterday, Rand Paul's exchange with uh, now confirmed Secretary of State Tony Blinken was particularly important. I know there's a lot of other things to cover, but uh, this is uh, important as President Trump's principled realism presented a paradigm shift from the last 30 years of foreign policy, more in the direction of Rand Paul's non-interventionism than consistent with the regime building in particular that Rand Paul zeroed in on that had gone on in the past couple of administrations. And just this exchange with Blinken again from uh, earlier in the week where Paul was critical of the regime building we attempted in places like Iraq and Afghanistan. Well, in in, in Syria, in Syria, there were those who were advocating for uh, a repeat of uh, of Iraq, which is to say a whole scale intervention. That's something that I did not agree with when we were looking at um, what but, to do but, in but Afghanistan. Here's the problem in Syria, it's, it, it is, there was a predictable result there. Had you gotten rid of Assad, mm. who were the fiercest fighters over there? Mm. Al-Nusra and Al-Qaeda, mm. the, most ra- the more radical you were, the better fighters you were. The program that you started with Hillary Clinton, the program to train these, the moderate rebels, we spent 250 million, we trained about 60 we sent 10 of them into battle, and they were captured in the first 10 minutes. Mm. It was a complete disaster. This whole idea that there were moderates over there that we were going to support, doctors and lawyers and stuff, there were, but I don't think they were out there fighting. The ones out there fighting were jihadists, al-Qaeda, al-Nusra, and if they had taken over the country, I, I, Assad's a mm. terrible person, but I'm not positive that these people would have been better. So it means the same lesson. Our humility has to be... Let's quit toppling regimes over there. Let's don't support the bad ones, but let's don't presume enough that if we topple them, that in the vacuum, Thomas Jefferson is going to arise because it never seems to happen. And Paul also mentioned the catastrophe that was and is now Libya after Gaddafi was dispatched with. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Colin Duick. He is a professor in the Shar School of Policy and Government at George Mason University, visiting scholar at the American Enterprise Institute and author of Age of Iron on conservative nationalism, if that's a phrase that's uh, even allowed these days. Uh, Professor Duick, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. So when uh, Rand Paul's uh, rather elegant in its simplicity formula of let's not support the bad regimes, but uh, let's also recognize that uh, we shouldn't be in the, the business of regime change when it comes to bad regimes. Is that consistent with uh, conservative nationalism? So I think when you go back to the American founding, I mean, that's that's where I trace it. I suggest that American founders 
there was a declaration of independence, not of dependence. So they're looking to establish an independent country with some freedom of action in foreign affairs. And of course, they hope that popular self-government will spread, but they don't assume that they can do that for the most part by force. So, you know, there's been a lot of deviations from that over the years. And I don't think that the Libyan intervention, for example, or, or the 2003 Iraq intervention were realistic. I actually think uh, Senator Paul had a point on that. If you could, from your perspective, describe the transition from Obama-Biden to Trump's principled realism back to Obama-Biden, as it were. Starting with Obama, I mean, you have an approach that is sort of verbally liberal internationalist, but at the same time often unwilling to back it up, which was something characteristic of that president. You had, for example, a kind of light-footed approach to a lot of problems, a lot of challenges, a lot of threats. Libya is actually a good example. And of course, the Syria policy of the Obama administration was a disaster. You've got people who were part of that who now are just cycling back in. So I think that President Trump, I mean, there was a lot of heated discussion when he first ran for office about, was he right about this or that? And I, I took part in that as well. But I have to say, you know, he, he had a point, which was we've been through decades, actually, of over-optimism with regard to some of these challenges and frustrations overseas. So I think the Trump doctrine, in a way, is what I argue in the book, was to try to tone down the, the transformationalism of the liberal approach and just say, look, we're going to, in the Middle East, for example, we're going to back our allies. You know, Israel and so on. We're going to oppose our enemies, whether it's ISIS or Iran. We're going to try to ramp up the pressure for negotiations again on Iran, and then and then hope we can uh, get something constructed out of it. Now, what you're seeing, it's interesting. It's only a week old, but of course, the criticism of Trump from that team has been withering. Although, in a way, it's kind of the revenge of the Obamanots. I mean, a lot of the people are are, are quite literally the same people. They often say the right things. If you notice uh, Tony Blinken in the in his hearing actually said very tactfully on multiple points that he thought that the Trump administration got it right up to a certain point. Right. He, list, he made a list of things where he said that. But what will they actually do? I mean, what's, what's it going to look like? I mean, you know, it's, it's, a lot of it just seems to be verbiage, kind of left liberal verbiage, and we'll have to see what they really do. Uh, when we come back, I want to pick up on some of the verbiage uh, emanating from the Biden administration and also uh, fold in the uh, disposition with respect to China from the internationalist set. More with Professor Colin Duick. He is a professor of policy and government at George Mason University and author of Age of Iron Our Conserv- on Conservative Nationalism. We'll be right back. The more you listen, the more you'll know. This is, this is the Dan Proft Show. Welcome back to the show. We're speaking with Professor Colin Duick. He is a professor in the Schar School of Public Policy and Government at George Mason University, visiting scholar at the American Enterprise Institute and author of the book Age of Iron on Conservative Nationalism. And uh, Professor Duick, before the break, we're talking about pronouncements from uh, Biden administration officials, uh, Tony Blinken agreeing with Rand Paul on this or that, saying the Trump administration actually got it right on this or that, much like Others, uh, Fareed Zakaria, uh, after the election, saying, you know, uh, we have to admit that actually Trump was pretty tough on Russia after four years of he's uh, Putin's Manchurian candidate. Um, one of the other pronouncements we got yesterday was uh, John Kerry, the uh, uh, climate change czar, uh, per Biden's executive order, is that all of the national security and intelligence agencies 
diplomatic institutions are going to be reoriented towards including climate change policy as part of their uh, mission scope and and uh, interactions with foreign uh, governments, whether they're friends or or not friends. Um, how, how does that uh, inform how uh, entangled the Biden administration may get into the affairs of other countries? Look, I think I think that for liberals, progressives, whatever you want to call it, climate change in a way for them is actually the number one international security challenge. It's not China. Uh, it's certainly not uh, ISIS or anything like that. It's climate change. So they're willing to make trade-offs. I, I think there's actually a real risk, for example, that this, this new administration could be willing to, to make you know, serious concessions to China on important issues in order to get really pro- hollow promises from Beijing on climate change. And, and by the way, I mean, John Kerry, you're talking about somebody who isn't going to stay in his bailiwick, I and mean, he's going to range freely across a lot of issues. Uh, you know, he's been put in a position where he, he could really be a major player. He could have an impact. I, this is not somebody who has a stellar record on foreign policy. You have to ask yourself. Well, neither does the president. Well, I mean, he, you know, Kerry, if he's the solution, what, what's the problem? <laughs> yeah, well, right. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I take your point. But I mean, in terms of, you know, what did um, not tenant uh, the other CIA Gates? What did Gates say about uh, Joe Biden? Uh, you wrong in every major foreign policy decision of the last 30 years. And, and so is the rest of this team, it seems. Well, that's exactly what Gates said. And Gates is a pretty solid, you know, respect, widely respected character. So you have, you know, you have a team. I think Biden, in a way, has a feel for You have to say he has a pretty good feel for the center of gravity in the Democratic Party, which mm. has moved left. And as it's moved left, he has moved left. But just look at the last week. It's just a checklist of one thing after another, you know, of foreign policy as well as domestic. So that's that's what he's doing. You know, most of it by executive order, actually. But we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll see legislation rolled out as well. With respect to China, uh, let me uh, query you on this. You know, back in the Cold War particularly during the Reagan era, there were a lot of people, uh, the liberal international set, um, if they weren't rooting for the Soviet Union to win the Cold War, they were certainly arguing that the Soviet Union would win the Cold War, that uh, they had uh, essentially the superior model, that uh, they were going to be able to uh, outlast uh, America and uh, uh, Reagan's uh, dangerous defense buildup. And, you know, sort of this sort of conceding defeat, and so we need to make nice with our new, um, well, uh, overlords maybe, or certainly it was going to be a, um, a bipolar world with the two hegemons uh, for as far as the eye could see. So, so sort of leading with the understanding that we're on the losing side. Do you see this administration and some of these same internationalists taking the same posture with respect to China? Because, I mean, even on their issue, you said, is their defining issue when it comes to national security because they're saying it. Um, I mean, you know, China has no responsibilities with respect to emissions reductions under the Paris Accords until 2030. So what is even the point of this? Right. I mean, so so Democrats, second half of the Cold War, really, a lot of Democrats just kind of sat that one out. I mean, with the exception of. Southern Democrats who tended to be tougher uh, in the 70s and 80s, but they've long since disappeared. Um, yeah, where's so the Sam Nunn of a 21st century Democrat Socialist Party? It doesn't exist. Right. No, it's exactly. It's, it's gone. So now you have, uh, you know, for liberals, the number one concern is actually 
probably domestic. I mean, it's the Republican Party combined with, uh, you know, combined with climate change. So I think you're going to see, you're seeing a very smooth operation in the sense that it's, it's, it's got the appearance of sometimes saying the right things on China, but whether or not this actually amounts to much is really going to be the test. Like, I have been encouraged the last few years by how Republicans have come to grips with China as what I would say is really the number one international security challenge for the U.S. And, and President, former President Trump actually does deserve some credit for that. He, you know, whatever criticisms there are, there are that are fair on the specifics, he did draw attention to that. And I think Republicans, for the most part, have come on board. Whether the Biden administration dismantles some of that pressure uh, is a serious problem. I, I don't see that the Biden team believes that we are in, you know, such a fundamental struggle as, as we actually are. Or, or is it that, um, you know, as I said, they're sort of willing to make nice. They're willing to share the stage. They're willing to to say, well, you know, look, uh, last year uh, China surpassed the United States and in most foreign direct investment, you got uh, our friends in the NBA and entertainment that want access to the Chinese market. Big tech companies have been in bed with the Chicoms. So, uh, you know, let's make nice with them and uh, we can coexist. And meanwhile, the Chinese communists are obviously expansionist in disposition and uh, they'll, they will take that appeasement uh, the same way that, um, boy, the Soviet Union would take an appeasement or other predatory nations would take appeasement from the West. I agree. I mean, look, uh, if you have a school of thought that says China's already, you know, it's arrived, nothing you can do about it, best thing is to accommodate it, you know, that's that's a, that's the point of view that is dominant uh, in, you know, pr- actually a pretty wide set of circles. I, I think there's a real risk that that's where we, we're headed in the next four years. Um, and, you know, the, the Chinese Communist Party, for its part, looks to make the world safe for itself. I mean, it's, it, it clearly expands its influence economically, politically, militarily, and even inside the United States. You have, you have influence operations, Chinese communist misinformation, um, you know, espionage. This is a longstanding problem. It's, it's got to be taken very seriously. He is Professor Colin Duick, professor in the Shar School of Policy and Government at George Mason University, visiting scholar at the American Enterprise Institute and author of the book Age of Iron on Conservative Nationalism. Professor, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Listen to podcasts of the show at danproffshow.com.